This episode of Primitive Culture is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 180,000 titles for smartphone, tablet, and desktop. To get a free audiobook of your choice and help Trek FM at the same time, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. And also by Enterprise in Space, an international program of the non-profit National Space Society. Find out how you can help science and education and become a virtual crew member aboard the NSS Enterprise Orbiter by visiting enterpriseinspace.org. This is Tim Russ, Lieutenant Commander Tuvok on Star Trek Voyager, and you're listening to Trek FM. Open your mind to the past. All this may mean something. It's a primitive culture. I'm just trying to blend in. Some people think the future means the end of history. We haven't run out of history quite yet. Hello, everyone, and welcome to a special supplemental episode of Primitive Culture. I'm Duncan Barrett, and unfortunately, Tony can't be with us today. Uh, He's actually looking after his other half, who's not feeling very well. He's doing his best Tom Paris impression, uh, looking after her, nursing her. But I am joined by a friend of the network, Clara Cook. Hi, Clara. Hi, Duncan. And we are in a very special location, aren't we, Clara? Yes, we are in the South Bank Centre. We are at the Royal Festival Hall in the South Bank Centre in London, a beautiful, wonderful, uh, gorgeous concert venue. Um, and we're recording here because we're actually here uh, to attend the Ultimate Voyage concert, which, if you haven't heard of it, is a, a concert of Star Trek music, um, which we're really looking forward to. But we thought while we were here, we'd try and fit in a little... Um, supplemental episode there you go I think hopefully you can hear a bit of the music seeping out of the auditorium as we speak <laughs> and rapturous, rapture, applause. rapturous applause rapturous <laughs> applause so anyway the topic that we thought we'd we touch on today um as something that's kind of relevant to to what we're doing today is music in star trek but not so much the kind of orchestral music the scores uh, but what um what people might call diegetic music, essentially the, the music that is in the real world of the show. It's not being added later. It's not a kind of editing thing. It's not uh, designed to affect your emotions and so on as you're watching it. It's, it's the music that the characters are actually uh, performing or enjoying or listening to themselves. And in particular, we, we thought it'd be interesting to talk a bit about why it is that so many of the characters in Star Trek um, have a real passion for music, that they are performers, they're, whether they're singers, whether they play musical instruments or so on. That seems to be, throughout uh, pretty much all of the series, a kind of ongoing thread and, and something that's quite important to building up those characters. So that's the kind of area that we, we thought we might have a look at. So the question that I had was... What role would music have aboard a starship, knowing that um, the uh, computer banks of the Enterprise and also of Voyager, and uh, presumably of Deep Space Nine, are filled with as much information that you could possibly ever absorb in a lifetime? Um, you probably could summon up um, or, or search for any piece of recorded music that had ever been played, um, not just human music, but alien music, music throughout history. And in that context, why would anybody play live music aboard a starship or aboard a space station when you could listen to any piece of recorded music that you wanted to? It's kind of the same question, I guess. You, you get, you know, why are they spending so much time rehearsing plays and so on when they could, you know, summon Laurence Olivier on the holodeck? Um, and I suppose it has to be... I, I guess it, it partly depends, you know, is it about the quality? Are, are you just after the highest quality performance? Or is it more meaningful in a sense that it's someone you know performing it? So, you know, say they're on Voyager, 
merger. They again, even though they're in the Delta quadrant, you know, they have all those resources. They can summon up any performance they want. But you know, is there something when they have their talent night? Is there something more appealing about watching Captain Janeway dance the Dying Swan than some famous, you know, ballerina from? Alpha Centauri or wherever they might be um, you know is it more really about the kind of getting involved about the kind of putting yourself into it um, exploring another side of your of your character uh, of your own skills and so on I mean, more that kind of clubbing together sort of amdram kind of uh, feel to it rather than it being so much about a kind of profession and the talent and the ability being the most important thing and there is something I agree with, but I think there is also something about music being played live as opposed to recorded music. So, um, and, and this ties in very much to what we're doing today. We're going to a concert to listen to Star Trek music that we could easily listen to on Spotify or on a you know a, a digital recording somewhere, but we want to hear it live in an orchestra and a communal experience. We want to hear it live with an audience, and that's something that you see again and again in Star Trek. They have these concerts on on the ships um, because they want to hear it live together they want, they want it to be a communal experience where they're listening to music together and this um, I started thinking about this when watching um, Data play music um, in um, The Next Generation and also while wa- when watching The Doctor the emer- emergency medical hologram in Star Trek Voyager um, singing so one of the things that um, you mentioned was um, one of the episodes, um, Virtuoso, which is I believe in the sixth season of Star mm-hmm. Trek Voyager yeah, yeah. Um, where the, um, the Doctor um, is singing um, for a, uh, a culture that has never heard music before and they don't understand what music is. And he tries to explain to them in the first few minutes of the episode what music is and what music means. And he says, it's primarily a form of artistic expression using sounds and images to convey ideas and emotions so that people can communicate their feelings. And that implies that emotion is very much part of music. And you have to question how much emotion you get from a recorded interview. Uh, it, sorry, recorded piece of music. <laughs> not recorded interview, because, you know, it's a lot of emotion there. Um, <laughs> how much emotion would you get from, um, you know, just an electronic recording of a piece of music that you can get from a computer? Is motion part of what is important when it comes to music? And does, how does this apply to, de- uh, to data and how does this apply to the, um, to the doctor in Voyager, who essentially are both mechanical beings? I think there's an interesting question as well, particularly with that episode of Virtuoso. I mean, one of the, the things about the Doctor is, is he his repertoire of music is quite broad, but it always you get the sense the music that he really loves is the opera. So in that episode, he starts off singing these old folk songs, but then really quite quickly it becomes the Doctor's kind of opera performances. And I think in Voyager, there's very much a kind of... Uh, they're using that to kind of tie into this idea of the Doctor's attitude of superiority, his kind of snobbishness, this kind of elitist culture, um, in a way that is very different, say, in the next generation, listening to opera would seem completely normal. That's kind of, because it's such a sort of highbrow setup. that enterprise is such a kind of highbrow place. By the time you get to Voyager, it's, there's an element of kind of undercutting that and of the sort of pomposity of that. And one of the things that's quite interesting in that episode, I think, is that the Doctor... You know his proficiency as a singer is very important to him. It's very important to him to to sing these very difficult arias and so on to do them well. But then, of course, what happens at the end of that um, episode is that he basically gets replaced because the culture that he's singing to one of them starts composing pieces that are actually impossible for a human voice to sing, and then they create their own version of the Doctor, uh, sort of in their image, but but you, you know still basically the kind of Doctor Zimmerman uh, physical form, but who can perform these strange. Uh, 
alien songs that the Doctor can't perform. So he's kind of, in a way, the kind of snobbery is almost uh, turned back on himself. This this kind of um, idea about being the most proficient, the most uh, talented, having these you, you know prodigious abilities, um, and it turns out that he's not really up to the job anymore. Well, also that also ties into um, the idea that it being proficient. Um, with music isn't actually always the main point of um, a, a musical experience or learning an instrument or playing an instrument. Um, and I agree with you. At, at the end of, of Virtuoso, as you said, um, they produce a better hologram that produces better music, and he's upset about that. I mean, part of it is its pride is hurt, but also part of it is that was that really the reason, only reason that he was singing? Was it to be really proficient, or was it also because it was an emotional experience for him and he enjoyed it? And in um, the Next Generation episode, um, Lessons... This is a really great episode, and it was um, actually looked on very favourably by critics and by the audience, audiences alike. Um, and it's a, an episode where um, you really get to see Picard's love of music, and actually you get to see his insecurities about music. He doesn't want to play his flute in front of people because he's nervous about not being very good. And there's one scene where Lieutenant Commander Nella Darren, who is the character he actually ends up falling in love with, comes into his um, cabin, and she encourages him to play a duet with her and encourages him to... Um, freestyle with the flute <laughs> like, like sort of um, improv Frere Jacques improv, <laughs> yeah improv Frere Jacques Aww. it's like the, the most kind of tame improv session <laughs> ever seen um, but yeah so she, and he says oh I'm not very good and she says well do you enjoy it and he's like yes I do and she's like well then that's all that matters and there is something to be said for enjoying the experience of playing music yeah. rather than just being brilliant at it mm-hmm. and obviously you know in um, today's world, in the modern world now, where um, excelling at something um, is ultimately the goal in so many spheres of life, you know, whether it's excelling in sport, whether it's excelling in making money, or whether it's excelling in um, like politics or music or art, or whatever, um, that seems like the ultimate goal. But by the time you reach the Star Trek century, shall I say, by the time you reach the next generation, and obviously Starfleet is a lot about excelling, it does seem like people are also doing things for just the pure enjoyment of them mm-hmm. um, they're doing them just for fun and especially that's really important especially in a high pressure environment like a starship where everything is very mathematical everything's very scientific everything's very mechanical and, and like uh, computerised um, and then I guess that would bring us to Data Data is an example of somebody who is trying to be human and his playing of an instrument or playing of several instruments is his way of trying to sort of achieve humanity Amongst other things. It's tied very much in with, you know, taking the art classes and, uh, yeah, other sort of creative, you know, performing in the theatre, other kind of creative pursuits that are tied up with that. And we see it again in Voyager with Seven of Nine. We see Janeway trying to encourage her to, you know, try out sculpting, try out art, try out all these other things. It's kind of a way of, yeah, I suppose, sort of broadening your kind of human experience of of the world. I mean, I think it's interesting what what you were saying about the the kind of... The, the passion and the kind of amateur sense of it. I mean, I think that's quite important in a way. I'm just thinking in terms of, say, Harry Kim in Voyager. I feel like I, I sort of accept that Harry Kim is a competent 
talent you, you know he's a talented clarinetist I don't really feel he has any particular passion for it somehow do you know what I mean he, he feels like someone who's trained and he knows what to do someone like Riker or, or actually particularly Picard with his flute you know he's too embarrassed to play that flute for anyone he's actually not very good at it you know most of the time we see him practicing he's getting it wrong he's hitting the wrong notes I mean in the inner light he is he, I don't know how many decades he spent trying and failing to learn that flute you know and it doesn't look like a very complicated instrument so the kind of implication is that that like he's actually pretty crap at this but at the same time it's important to him he's putting the hours in he's getting you know gradually getting better and so on um and i think that helps us to kind of connect to it because i suppose these the world of star trek it is such a kind of utopian world they are these kind of perfected human beings particularly in next gen they they're already brilliant at everything uh so you sort of need to have a bit of a flaw and say with Riker you know with his trombone for example there's that episode where there's a there's a particular piece that he spent 10 years never quite being able to hit the right note or whatever I think something like that it's quite important because otherwise it just seems a bit like these people are just you you know not only are they brilliant at their job they're also they're brilliant at all of their hobbies they're they're kind of um and with data there's definitely that sort of danger that he's so capable of everything you know if he plays the violin he's going to play to you know concert standard immediately kind of by default almost that there's a danger that we lose something i mean you were talking about why is it we want to be present in the room why do we want to be at a concert it's partly the collective experience it's also in the same way as why do you go see theater rather than a film there is something you know exciting about the fact it's it's not just the fact that it can all go wrong though there is that i mean if you go to a play and something goes wrong it it wakes the audience up in a sense and everyone has to deal with it and has to work their way around that and so on um it's a kind of a reminder i suppose that it's happening it's real it's you know it's in the moment with you it's not something that's been kind of polished and perfected um and kind of mechanically organised. And I suppose the question when we think about data is, uh, and to an extent the doctor as well, is is that what we're getting? Or are we getting something where essentially with data in a performance, he's made the decisions beforehand and he just hits play, and then really he's just kind of going through the motions of, you know, whatever sort of broadly speaking creative decisions he's made well I'm going to take a bit of influence from this artist here and a bit of influence from that artist there but then once is he making decisions in the moment I mean uh, in lessons there's a discussion about the fact that Nella Darren when she's performing a piece she play one of the notes she plays she deliberately plays a wrong note I think she decides and, and they have this little chat with her and Picard about about why she decided to do that and I think the the sense there is that that's part of her unpredictable nature that's her kind of you know she says you should get used to surprises while I'm around basically that's her that's a kind of token of her humanity what 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 is the sense when we have these kind of artificial beings performing are they in the moment in that same way are they you know uh, free to improvise I suppose that's that's part of it and that's part of what's you know uh, meaningful about music or is it just as mechanical and as kind of by rote as you know a CD that you might chuck in your CD player I think with data it is very much a mechanical thing so um, I think when a human being plays a piece of music they're interpreting the notes that they're playing, so it's their it's their interpretation of the of, of the piece of music. I think with data is he's he hasn't really got an interpretation. Like it's not his playing; it's a, like a literal translation of the like the maths of of music for him to play. And I think his struggle to become human is sort of mirrored in his struggle um, to create something that is his own, that is unique, and not a mechanical electronic copy of music. And that, that 
his own um, version of Bach, for instance, or his own version of uh, Stravinsky or something. And when he gets his emotions chip, you notice that he, he starts singing a lot more. So he sings in the movies, including that very silly little song where he's searching for life forms, you know, little life forms. He sings, he sings um, and that's just, that's like a, a little tune, you know, that's very human. Um, so make up a little tune off the top of your head, start something silly. And, and when he sings at Riker and um, Troy's wedding at the beginning of um, Nemesis, I believe it is, it's, 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 it almost seems like it comes out of the blue. I mean, I suppose he was billed to sing, but he just sort of starts, starts sort of singing and everyone sort of looks at him like he's just inspired by the romance of the moment. It's always hard to know with data, though, isn't it, whether it's... Um I mean, I'm thinking, I, I was watching recently uh, the episode Starship Mine, where he's experimenting with small talk. And having been very kind of stilted and awkward to begin with, he suddenly like adopts this sort of persona of someone who's very kind of gregarious and uh, chatty and a kind of completely different personality. Um, and it, it's obviously a kind of an affectation that he's put on. And it's hard to tell from that scene in Nemesis, because... There, there does seem to be a similar kind of transition. He starts off quite kind of low-key and then it, it sort of goes into a real performance. You know, it's not just a kind of sort of by-the-numbers thing, but at the same time, is that even just a, you, you know, just an impression of what someone el- how someone else might choose to perform that song rather than something kind of coming from within it? I mean, I suppose maybe it's impossible to know, but, but one of the things that strikes me as interesting was you're talking about the importance of improvisation, of being in the moment and so on. I mean... I suppose the, you know, that's kind of jazz standard. So there is a kind of element of improvisation in that. And thinking about Star Trek in general, of course, the other big uh, sort of sphere of diegetic music is Vic's Lounge in Deep Space Nine. And there again, you know, because we have this kind of uh, these jazz standards being played, we have this kind of mode of improvisation again. And of course, we have again a hologram who's singing these songs, but very much we're given to understand is making creative, kind of human improvisational decisions. You know, he'll direct a line to a given member of the audience. He'll do all of those kind of things that a real singer in a situation like that um, will do. And of course, we see, ultimately, we see him duetting with Cisco, and they do this, you know, lovely duet, I think, um, which is very much in that kind of playful, cheeky, uh, you know, they're having a good time, they're kind of larking about. It's very much not a kind of rehearsed, uh, choreographed, I mean, I'm sure it was in reality but but you know the, the what we're supposed to think is it's very much them kind of riffing off each other and kind of improvising and, and really enjoying the music and, and playing rather than it being about kind of proficiency and, and giving a sort of serious performance and so on I mean I, Vic's an interesting an interesting character partly because I personally have never really liked him <laughs> I've never liked him and I've always thought he was a bit of a strange introduction to the show but in preparing for this podcast, I did actually start thinking about him slightly differently, and I actually rewatched some of the episodes um, in which he takes, which he's part of, and I realised that he's he's very much a part of, I would say, sort of like, uh, well, he's not just there for the music; he's there for the he's there for advice as well, and the music is part of that. So, especially in the episode, um, it's only a paper moon where he's actually providing therapeutic advice and counselling to Nog. Um, it, it, music is part of that, you know. So it's actually showing that music has a therapeutic um, and um, and um, sort of well-being type of um, mission, really, or, 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 or role um, amongst a, amongst a crew of people who can be in very stressful situations, like say, for instance, a war, or um, you know, far from home, or be anonymous, sort of 
soundless expanse of space. So um, I actually started feeling quite differently about him after that. And I did wonder... I had this conversation, funnily enough, with my own mother about why um, they chose to have sort of 1960s Rat Pack, big band music in Deep Space Nine. Like, why not Klingon Opera or... You know, why not the, the Gregorian chant or, you know, the magic flute? Why not anything else? Gregorian um, chant might not be a great kind of place to go out for, a, <laughs> for an evening, you know, in some why, monastery. Why not more modern? <laughs> I see your point, but why not more, more modern music? About like, it. why not, yeah. like, um, like, most recently, like, Star Trek Beyond, like, the Beastie Boys right. or something? Yeah, yeah. Like, why not, like, yeah. I don't know, trance music or yeah, yeah, drum and bass or something? Yeah. Um, and... Um, uh, my mother made this I'd point, like which is very it. interesting. What she says is that it's about nostalgia, mm. that they want the audience um, watching Star Trek to feel nostalgia, you know, and they're harking back to a time when probably a lot of the people watching Star, Star Trek Deep Space Nine um, may be some of the people that were watching the original series, quite likely, in fact, back when they could actually remember being young or they could remember... Um, uh, their parents being young and enjoying this style of music and um, the important thing about the show is that people remain people so even the aliens have to be people they have to they can't be so understandable like so, so strange and so alien that we can't relate to them and in some science fiction films and you know the aliens are so different than human beings that you know you don't there are different kinds of stories they're telling different they have different kinds of themes I'm thinking of like the most recent um film Arrival where the aliens are very different from us or Contact or mm-hmm. um, you know, even the alien films um, but and Star the music Trek, reflects that alien, the music yes. reflects, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. but the, the, the stories of Star Trek are very different, they are human stories so even the aliens have to be a bit human so that's why they use music like Vic, um, the Rat Pack style music or Vic Fondaine um, and the music has to have a direct emotional appeal and I thought about this a little bit with um, the original series with Spock and his his Vulcan harp, there's a there's a few a few scenes where Spock plays the Vulcan harp. There isn't as much music in the original series, and I think they're kind of deprived of music because whenever somebody starts playing music, they all perk up and look, <laughs> look incredibly excited. Yeah. I was like, they need to have like you know regular club nights or something um, or concerts. <laughs> Spock's music is it does sound alien, um, not not unpleasant, but alien. Um, and what they do is they, they, they couple him with Uhura or with the space hippies in one of the episodes they have him play jam out with space hippies the sort of like beatnik kind of 60s kind of sort of hippie music but maybe that's why there's not so much alien music in Star Trek and there's more human music because music has to have a direct emotional appeal and you don't need to be part of the culture to enjoy the music because um, but it has to be human music for the audience mm-hmm. well certainly when they do produce alien music I think it often is a bit kind of cringy I mean, I'm thinking of the Deep Space Nine episode Fascination we get some Bajoran music and it's a bit it's, it's very awful. kind of twiddly and twee and kind of um, I mean in that episode maybe there's a kind of because it's got this sort of strong Shakespearean vibe I think there's an element of kind of twee sort of faux Shakespearean music going on there but it's, it's certainly not something that you feel like oh wow I really want to go and listen to that the Klingon opera maybe a little bit more so it seems to have a bit more sort of going for it but I think actually it's interesting when you say about Spock's music reflecting his personality I think that's one of the things that we see uh, with a lot of the instruments that people play in Star Trek is that they are very closely kind of tied to their personality I mean if you think about you know Riker plays the trombone if, if you had to say what instrument is Riker a trombone is, is pretty much it it's loud it's bombastic it's kind of it's got this sort of slightly sexy kind of aspect to it it's quite shiny as well and it's a kind of you, you know it, it 
it, it, it fits in well, so this sort of booming, fun instrument. Data plays the violin. It's light, it's kind of very delicate, it's very sophisticated, classical, very intricate instrument. Um, it, you know, I think maybe there's something there that, that these characters are well matched in terms of how, how are they going to express themselves um, through music. And, you know, if it was Data playing the trombone, that would be... That would maybe seem strange in some ways. It yeah, w- wouldn't seem to fit in the same way. You know. <laughs> definitely. And obviously, of course, in the real world, there's an element, you, you know, clearly Jonathan Frakes plays the trombone. And at some point, someone realised that, and in the same way as they realised that Gates McFadden was a choreographer and therefore could dance, uh, they, they kind of make the most of that. And I think it is good when they make the most of that because actually uh, re-watching lessons recently, I'd never, maybe I'd never really watched this closely, but you can actually really see when they're not playing the instruments. There are a couple of shots where you can see that um, Patrick Stewart obviously has a hand double holding the flute in front of him and so (laughs) there are these hands kind of creeping up from the bottom of the frame uh, and he's got his mouth around the flute and someone else is clearly playing it and he's kind of trying making faces and there are quite a lot of kind of um, shots of Patrick Stewart basically kind of (laughs) mucking along pretending to you know blow into this flute (laughs) Uh, when you're kind of looking out for it, it it does come across yeah, as, yeah, as when slightly he, ridiculous. Yeah, when he's acting out Shakespeare, though, it's all genuine, isn't it? <laughs> yes, yeah, that's, 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 you know, that's fair enough. You know Patrick Stewart you, can you know do that. You know he can do that, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So, yeah, so it's, it's true, you know, maybe music wasn't, that obviously wasn't, well, the, the, the tin whistle or whatever it is wasn't on his CV. <laughs> but you think he could learn it, it looks pretty simple. Yeah. I mean, you, you know, famously, actors always learn the ukulele because that's, like, the easiest instrument to, you can learn it in a few weeks and then, you, you know, they'll stick it in any play, they'll stick a ukulele in because <laughs> so many actors can play it but um, maybe that's just not part of his thing um, Avery Brooks obviously plays the piano as anyone who's seen the Captain's documentary uh, will know and we, and we get a little bit of that sort of bleeding into Deep Space Nine and, and his musical performances which again I mean you know we talked a bit about that duet with Vic I think there is something about that that plays into the kind of eccentricity of Cisco's character and into the kind of um, the, the kind of level of there is a little bit of overlap between Cisco, particularly Cisco the emissary. I think Cisco the kind of uh, not the hard ass Starfleet captain, but the kind of um, off duty maybe side of Cisco, which is a little bit more quirky and a bit eccentric. Yeah, and so he's, quite, he's quite a that, wacky that kind of guy, isn't he? He's, he's, got, really, he's got a real he sense of humour. He has, yeah, yeah definitely. But you don't see as much as like like as, as you you think you would, it's because he's probably got a lot of responsibility. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, yeah. He's got a lot of different elements to his character I think um, but in a way that they don't I don't think they necessarily clash or anything but it's I think uh, you know that gives us a more rounded uh, interesting character in a way one of the interesting things I liked about Star Trek Beyond was the fact that they used the Beastie Boys rather than right. any other type of music um, um, and that you know Spock and McCoy actually think it's classical music yeah. Um, and that um, Jayla's response to it is, you know, I like the beats and shouting. I like the idea of how our music now is going to be perceived in the future. So will something like um, Justin Bieber <laughs> <laughs> become classical music? Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think originally when um, I first started looking into the subject, I started questioning why people would still be listening to classical music in, mm-hmm. you know, in the next generation and why people would be listening to, you know, um, Rat Pack style tunes mm. um, in Deep Space Nine. Like, why wouldn't they listen to some more modern current music? But then if you think about the music that we listen to today, I mean, like I mentioned the Gregorian chant. Granted, I, you know, it's not number one on the charts. Um, <laughs> but choral music is still a very big deal. You know, there's choral music concerts throughout yeah. the world um, and there's choirs everywhere. 
Um, and some of that uh, choral music, you know, is, was composed many, many, you know, hundreds of years ago, if not centuries. So uh, we do, we may not listen to like music that was played in ancient Greece, but we do listen to music that was played many, many years ago and, and was uh, composed many years ago. So it, it does make sense that in the future, you know, when we are, exp- if, although I like to believe when, uh, we are exploring the universe in some sort of um, ship um, that we would be listening to and we would be holding on to our past heritage mm. um, and that music itself is something that we won't we won't give up you know that um, for the sake of um, I don't know, scientific exploration or for the sake of some other big goal that we wouldn't forget what music is because um, music is a different kind of language and um, but it's a very universal language you don't have to have like I said before knowledge or understanding of a particular culture in order to enjoy its music mm. um, and that it's it's a very universal experience music um, and Star Trek is very concerned with universal experiences and we see that I mean certainly we, we see in Star Trek aliens uh, enjoying human music I mean, I'm, I'm, you know, if you think about Vic Fontaine or whatever uh, you know Major Kira seems to enjoy his music even though clearly that's not something that comes from her culture you know that that is alien music to her but she appears to fairly readily have kind of um, adapted to that. I have to say, I, I sort of had mixed feelings about the Beastie Boys in, in Star Trek Beyond. Um, I, I, liked, I, I liked it in the moment. I enjoyed it, and I, I did find it funny. I, I found the classical music lines funny. At the same time, it does take... It takes me out of the reality of the film slightly because it's it's just a bit too much of an in-joke I think I felt the same way as I did uh, in Insurrection where uh, basically Riker gets kind of gamer's joystick to pilot the Enterprise and it's like okay it's a kind of cute joke but at the same time it slightly undermines the entire scene around it I, I didn't I, I didn't feel the Beastie Boys had quite that effect in Beyond because it, it was so it, it had been set up at least it, you know it wasn't totally random because they'd set it up earlier in the film and also because it did I mean, very broadly kind of makes sense that it was relevant to the plot insofar as it was going to achieve something. And and you can see they did need a kind of loud, noisy, thrashing kind of music for that. At the same time, I do wonder... I do think it's dangerous using contemporary music uh, in something like Star Trek, you you know, partly because it's set in the future, but also because hopefully it has longevity. I mean, you know, we're coming to see a concert in the 50th anniversary year. You you know, these stories have lasted for 50 years so far. The music has lasted for 50 years so far. What's the Beastie Boys going to seem like in 50 years' time? Is that just going to seem really random? And it's a bit different having you know, the kind of punk music uh, in The Voyage Home, because obviously that is in its time, and that's kind of the joke, is that it's, it's tied to that time. But I do sort of worry that, that it, it may date the shows, it, it may sort of make things feel a bit awkward. And they had this debate uh, with Enterprise, they had the, the network people were trying to get them to bring in a kind of band of the week uh, into the mess hall and, and have these, like, like, you know, boy bands from the charts or whatever, oh God, basically that's, performing that's on the show. Like a as a terrible way to, idea. I know, exactly, to like appeal to the, the teenage audience, but um, unfortunately, you know, uh, uh, they they managed to avoid doing that. Or I think that would have been yet another kind of uh, problematic element of that series. But um, but I suppose you do. I mean, it's interesting. They had the idea. They had the idea of wanting to bring music in as a kind of regular part of the show. And I think when we were talking about, you know, you were saying what's the the function of Vix and is it tied to to this kind of nostalgic thing? I think there's also an element of just a kind of um, 
Well, it's not. It's kind of akin to like comic relief. It's the kind of the musical relief. You know, it's providing that kind of thing. And I suppose that's what was behind that idea was this idea of trying to incorporate that on a kind of regular basis. It made me start thinking of Vix as the kind of. Um, you know, Vic Fontaine is the kind of von der Shepherd from Ali McBeal of the Star Trek universe. Do you know what I mean? Like, this is this place where everyone goes and they can have montages and, and play songs that vaguely uh, relate to what they're, you know, what people are going through. Um, but at the same time, I think there is something positive about that. I mean, I really love, I like Vic Fontaine as a character. I really like all the all the stuff in Vic. So I kind of enjoy all of that. And I think for me, it's not it's not just the nostalgia. I mean, I understand what you're saying about the nostalgia there, and I can see that that's even more powerful for people who, who you know, who do remember the Rat Pack originally, and for whom, uh, you know, and the fact that James Darren was, I think, sort of, you know, at least on the outskirts of the Rat Pack. Do you know what I mean? He's like an authentic. Uh, Weirdly, he's not just doing a kind of impersonation of one of those people. He actually is one of those people. Um, but there's also the fact that I think, from my perspective anyway, you know, I work a lot on the Second World War, worked a bit on the First World War. Uh, Deep Space Nine is the, the war series. And I think if you think about both those wars and the music, I mean, so many people I've interviewed, if you talk to them about Vera Lynn, they'll tell you, you know, they don't just see Vera Lynn as, it wasn't just pop music, that was something that kept them going, do you know what I mean? And they play those songs now with tears in their eyes, you know, this was the kind of, that, that kind of sentimental music, and it is very sentimental, and, you know, going back to the First World War, Keep the Home Fires Burning, all these kind of songs, and these quite tough men in the trenches would be, you know, really moved by this kind of music, and I think part of that is what you see with Vic and in Deep Space Nine. You know, we do see the kind of music providing a solace to you know to Nog, who's lost his leg, uh, even to Worf when Jadzia dies. He he turns up at Vix and keeps asking for the same song again and again. You know, there is the idea that in this quite kind of sentimental, quite kind of wear your heart on your sleeve kind of musical repertoire, is something kind of healing and. I, I suppose it does bring people together. It brings out some kind of shared humanity in a way that, you know, maybe classical music or something a bit more, a more of that kind of elitist music that we were talking about earlier that you see in Next Gen particularly, um, maybe doesn't have quite the same effect. I mean, you can have Sarek weeping over the Mozart concert or whatever, but at the same time, that's quite a private... That's, it seems like that's very much music that that maybe classical music... I, I know you go to a, a, a performance venue and say, well, we're effectively doing that today, but um, at the same time, there's something... To me, it fits very much more with, like, you know, Picard in his courses in First Contact, he's listening privately with the, with the speakers turned way up high. You know, we see a bit of that um, with Janeway as well, but it's a kind of... It, it's not so much of a... Of a collective thing it's much more a sort of solitary emotional experience whereas you know maybe something like Vic it's much more of a a group thing it's there's more of that kind of interplay it's more improvisational there's more of the kind of liveness of it there I mean you can't sing along to um, classical music in the same way I mean you can hum but you can't sing along to classical music in the same way that you can to songs with lyrics and especially like songs like Vic Fontaine's songs which are have tunes that are I would say within the normal range of most people singing. I mean, mm. obviously people might not be able to sing as well as he can because he can sing very well. He's, mm. you know, he's exceptionally good at it. Unless they're Captain Cisco. Unless they're Captain Cisco. <laughs> so I mean, but you know, it, it, it's it, you're right. They could sing along. It's it's more of a communal experience. Um, I would say that the music of Vic Fontaine's is easier to dance to. Um, Showing an example of Kira and Odo, mm. or mm. Kira's hologram and Odo yeah. in his way. 
Um, it's also very romantic music. You are right about that when you said, um, and you know, classical music can be romantic too. But um, the classical music in the next generation, it doesn't seem to be very romantic. You're right; it's much more of a sort of solitary kind of experience. And I feel it's um, proper sort of highbrow. Highbrow. I mean, Captain yeah. Picard in his court, he's he's Inspector Morse in space. Do you know yeah. what I mean? He's kind of cultured. <laughs> he's sophisticated. It's all sort of part of his, you know, Renaissance man personality. Yeah. Sitting there reading Shakespeare, listening to Beethoven or whatever. You know, it's a kind of it, it's it's sort of selling you something, and it's selling you something that the original series certainly never tried to sell us with Captain Kirk. You know, with Captain Kirk, it's it's outdoorsy, going out camping and singing "Row, Row, Row Your Boat." You know, it's, yeah. it's not really about the music; it's about the experience and so on. Um, and you know, maybe with Next Gen, it's it's something quite different. It means something quite different. And I think with Deep Space Nine. Um there's a romantic element like like you were saying Worf goes to to hear the same song sung by Vic um, after Jadzia's died um, Kira and Odo really um, actually resolve their feelings for each other um, using the music that Vic provides so um and that's something you don't really get in the romances in in Star Trek. There's, you know, I mean, there's obviously lots of love affairs in Star Trek, especially if you're Captain Kirk um, or Tom Paris or you know Riker. Um, but music uh, is not really encompassed in any of those. Um, mm. And if you think about other genres of television or film, um, a, a combined love or joint love of music or of a song is often something that does bring um, romantic um, pairings together. Um, I liked what you talked about when you talked about um, like what you said when you talked about um, music providing a sort of solace during a time of war or battle and this made me think of how music has been used in other science fiction series uh, specifically say for instance in the most recent um, version of Battlestar Galactica um, about how they they sing um, uh, what appears to very much to feel like Irish folk tunes um, and um, and even strangely, some sort of introduction of um, all along the watchtower. I found that really that that was for me personally. That was the point where that series of Battlestar Galactica just that feels jarring to it, me. It totally like jarred Star, for like me. Star I feel like Beyond, yeah. exactly, yeah. And it's I mean it's interesting. And I really tried to give them the benefit of the doubt on it. And I I get it was a very brave, bold, strange. Like I, I sort of applaud them for doing something that weird. But at the same time it completely took me out of that universe that I felt had been built up so uh, carefully and, you know, that I really believed in that whole world. And, and then suddenly something comes in, and, and exactly because it's not, you know, it's because it's diegetic music, because they're all hearing it as well. And you're sort of thinking, well, what does this mean to that? You know, I found it really confusing. It took me, I was sort of trying to get my head around it because also there's that question with that series, is this happening in the past or the future? Or do you, do you know what I mean? And if, if it's in the past, where's this music coming from? Does that mean Jimi Hendrix is a Cylon? And, well, you know, what on earth does this mean? <laughs> is he a god? And, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so it's kind of, um, I don't know. I think that was, uh, but at least I suppose it wasn't, I mean, when was that? You, you know, it wasn't whatever was in the charts that no. week. It was something that I suppose is already, you know, sort of, bo- you know, borderline classic mm. in a sense, you know, yeah. in, in the way that we can say Vic Fontaine's songs are, cla- you know, they're standards there. So they are kind of part of a sort of uh, repertoire of music that has a kind of longevity, presumably, you know, going forward. So I guess on that level that works. But, I mean, well, what about you? Did you, I mean, how did, 
I found it. Fun. I found it quite jarring, especially yeah. because at that point in the series, you don't know whether or not they are actually they've actually left. They're actually uh, um, looking for Earth, um, or whether Earth has already existed mm-hmm. and they are they've left Earth. Or I mean, you know that they're human, but you can't understand like where they've come from or what kind yeah. of human they are, where they're from. So. I mean, when I first realised it was all along the Watchtower, when I first started to realise, I was like, "What? Why are they playing this? Why is this part of this part of this this narrative universe?" I did like the fact, though, that a lot of the music in Battlestar Galactica um, was, you know, they sing and that they, you know, they hum, and it was all part of it is. Well, I did feel like it was almost like um, sort of Scottish or Irish like battle music, you know, like the kind of thing I imagine an army singing, um, you know, almost like a, a kind of the music that I, you know, you see in movies sometimes, American movies where. They have a funeral for like at the uh, NY, somebody from the NYPD blue <laughs> NYPD um, uh, you know the police or something in, in, in New York or whatever and they have um, someone playing an Irish tune you know yeah. it seemed very much like that it, this is their this is their um, heritage sort of folky folky yeah I suppose you get that in Star Trek with the um, what's it called the drummer boy in the in the wounded you know the yeah. you, is it the wounded yeah yeah um, and I think there is something about that kind of folk music that it has that. Um, a sort of raw emotional power somehow. Do you know what I mean? Like even quite, and I suppose because they're songs that are not to be sung by professionals, they're to be sung by ordinary people. So you know, someone like O'Brien, uh, you're never going to think that O'Brien is a sort of classically trained sort of professional singer. But at the same time, that's the kind of song that that would sort of resonate for him. Um, I was even struck by, I don't know if you, there's a film called Memphis Bell. Have you seen that? Yeah, yeah. I mean, which is not, I don't think it's, 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 a, it's a quite a cheesy film. Um, but they use uh, Oh Danny Boy, the song, in that. And they, and they use it quite a lot. And, in, and the way they use it is quite cheesy. But at the same time, it really hits you emotionally, the punch of that. Because again, it's that kind of folky, sort of quite simple, sort of folky uh, song. And it's been associated with a particular character. And then that character dies and so on. And I was watching it. it was, I was surprised at how kind of. Uh, effective that kind of simple use of music can be that kind of um, very I suppose very human very much the opposite of you know data playing Stravinsky or whatever very much kind of uh, you know music as something that that belongs to everyone as something that is a communal thing as something that sort of reflects our culture Um, and I suppose really the question is what does music sort of represent in Star Trek and I don't think there's there's you know one answer to that I mean I think in the episode Lessons there's very much a kind of you know music represents love I mean in Shakespeare's terms if music be the food of love play on it's kind of uh, there's, there's, there's even kind of double entendre around it you know Dr Crusher says in the card oh I didn't know he played duets you know there's this kind of um idea that music and love are almost interchangeable in a sense it's kind of a representative of passion so I think in that episode there's very much this kind of association between music and kind of passion and and romance and romantic love but I think more generally there's also this idea that music is this kind of token of humanity of uh, you know a kind of authentic emotional uh, of the soul in a sense I suppose and and maybe that's why you know we raise these questions about data performing what it means when data performs you know we talked a bit about virtuoso I mean what the doctor says at the end of that episode when they they make this uh, superior doctor who can sing better is basically he, he says but that won't be me that you know and he says when I perform I bring everything I've learned I bring my whole life experiences to it you know I, I sort of I'm inspired and I infuse that into the music he's very much seeing it as a creative you know that kind of interpretation as a creative act as something that he's he is pouring his heart and soul into so music in a sense I suppose in that sense is a kind of uh, token of something it's a kind of um, 
of something cultural, of something human, of something kind of spiritual. I mean, I mean we do see, it, I suppose, like with Wolf playing his Klingon operas, there's a kind of, it's a form of cultural expression, playing your own music. Or I can't remember if Kira ever plays any Bajoran music, but I feel there's that kind of element of, you know, it's, it's a sort of expression of the authenticity of that culture, or it's an expression of the kind of authentic self of the individual somehow. It's a kind of... Um, a way of sort of defining yourself, of sort of identifying yourself, or of, of sharing something of yourself in a way that's supposedly meaningful to other people. Um, and I suppose that's one reason why it's it's maybe it's a shame that the alien music that we hear is not more interesting. I mean, I think it is often a bit twee, it is often a bit basic. Uh, it's often kind of played for comedy, almost. I mean, there's a, sort of veering towards, like, the Star Wars cantina band kind of... Do you know what I mean? Sort of cheesy, jokey kind of... Which is a shame, because, you know, you talked about films like Arrival, which, you know, use sound and music and, and so on to really convey something very different, very alien, very unusual. Uh, and that can be enormously effective if you, you know, if you have composers and, and people working on that who, who know how to do that and are kind of interested in exploring it seriously. I mean, what's interesting is I do think this is something that other Star Trek fans have thought about, partly because because um, if you go on YouTube and you look up, um, like, um, anthems, you know, sort of like patriotic anthems, mm-hmm. like, uh, like the national anthem of, uh, anthem of a country, you will actually find people have composed national anthems for, like, the Romulan Empire or the Cardassian oh, wow. Empire or, <laughs> or the Bajorans. And actually, it all sounds very much like orchestral human music. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't sound like anything, you know, that yeah. you would imagine alien music to be. But even... I, I, people have thought, well, what would the Cardassians be singing? You yeah. know, um, and they are a very patriotic culture, mm-hmm. um, very militaristic. Surely they must have some militaristic um, uh, anthem that they play mm-hmm. at official events. Um, so other people have thought about this. Um, so it, it, I, I think they, maybe the writers and the creators of the show did miss an opportunity here to have. Um, more alien music in the show but I also think they missed an opportunity altogether to have more music just in general mm. um, and part of that is because not not to take away, anything away from melodic tracks but part of that is because of the fact that Star Trek has such a great soundtrack for all the shows mm. and um, and all the films so part of it is that we are listening to the, the music that is composed by composers to um, heighten the action, heighten the drama. Mm. Um, so part of that, part of it is that we're, we're taken up with that. So it's not as essential, I suppose, to have music within the show, played by the characters, sung by the characters. But the more that I started looking into this, the more I started noticing how there isn't a real absence of it. Um, knowing how much music I listen to on a regular basis, knowing how much music is loved, <laughs> beloved, and played by almost everybody I know. Um, regardless of ability or, or knowledge about like the theory of music, it did make me think that um, it's highly unusual in, in this situation that people would be listening to music and playing music as little as they do mm-hmm. in, in, in the TV, in the series, in the, in the franchise. So I'd be interested to see in the new series, in Discovery, if mm-hmm. um, the music will play a part in that as well, whether they will be listening to music there or whether they will be I'd be interested to see if they have any, if they have any hobbies or downtime because it looks like it's going to be a roller coaster. Well, that's the thing. All the, the trailers and so on that we've seen for Discovery so far—they're so dramatic and so serious and sort of epic, and you know, it looks very exciting. It looks like a, a, a really gripping movie. One of the things I'm sort of curious to see—I mean, we get 15 episodes. You know, it's it's not a full Star Trek season, but it's a decent uh, amount of time. 
it can't all be like that. It can't, I mean, it would be exhausting if the whole thing is like that. You know, are they going to have the kind of quirky episodes? Are they going to have the kind of comic episodes? Are they going to have the... You know, because actually one of the things that appeals to me a lot about Star Trek, I mean, certainly from Next Gen, Next Gen and Deep Space Nine, and Voyager as well... Um, is you know you get to see the crew on their in their on their downtime. It's the pillar filler. That was the great kind of inspiration of Michael Pillar was that you could just write these scenes that really weren't going anywhere. That were just kind of basically, I suppose, kind of soap opera in a sense. You're just seeing these characters how they interact that that give you a sense of these people because they're not at red alert all the time. They can't be, you know. And, and music obviously is is quite an important part of that. Um, so I am curious to see how that plays into Discovery. I mean, we've seen this second trailer, which released only yesterday, I think, um, actually had a song over it, uh, which was, you know, seemed to, for the trailer, worked really well. I don't know whether that's something that they're going to bring in. I mean, after the experience with Enterprise, you'd think they might, <laughs> they might steer clear of, of any kind of, uh, you, you know, anything like that. But at the same time, it w- worked well in the trailer. I mean, who knows? Maybe that is something that they'll, they'll consider. Uh, they've got this kind of new take on the Klingons, which seems much more... Um, I mean, I, I struggle with it a bit. I have a kind of reaction against it, but at the same time, I can see what they're going for. It's much richer. It's much kind of more, um, you know, even the props and things. I've seen people discussing and saying, this is actually what a, a backlith designed by a warrior race with these values would look like rather than what something that's obviously a TV prop, you know. There is a kind of an intricacy to it. So, you know, maybe if, if we get any Klingon opera in, in Discovery, it's going to be a lot more alien and a lot more weird and a lot more interesting and so on and so I'd, I'd kind of be interested to see that um, but I think it's, it's a good point you make that maybe there isn't uh, as much listening to music or enjoying music as, as we might expect because especially I think you know being in space I mean one of the things that Star Trek doesn't really touch on that much because their, their environments are quite comfortable. I mean, if you think about, say, the Enterprise D or something, yes, you're in space, but, you know, it's famously, it's the Hilton in space. It's a kind of comfortable hotel environment. It's all quite pleasant. It's enjoyable. You're not really uh, up against the kind of stark terror of, you know, existing in a vacuum, basically. Um, but there is that, you know, space is a very silent, a very dead kind of environment. And maybe if you're out there for a long period of time, I mean, we see this touched on... You you know, in beyond even the, the idea of getting lost in this kind of vast void, um, you know, music is something that you're you're bringing something of yourself. You're bringing something of your culture. You're kind of uh, almost enacting your your life force somehow through it, and kind of defying that dead, empty, uh, crucially silent environment all around by by filling it with sound. And we see that even in in real life. You know, we saw. Um, the astronaut Chris Hadfield performing uh, David Bowie in space, and that uh, that video, you, you know, went viral. Received you know a massive amount of attention. Everyone absolutely adored it because, uh, and we do like to see these astronauts because, again, you know, even real world astronauts, we think of them. They do quite serious things. You know, they do this very dangerous job. They do serious science experiments. They go out, you know, doing these uh, space walks where they could die at any moment. Um, but we always really enjoy seeing them, you know, dressing up in a silly costume or, or doing some singing or mucking around with their food or whatever these kind of reminders that they are human beings they have families they have kind of their own hobbies they have their own um, you know I suppose they're, they're not these kind of super people and I guess that's part of maybe that is again part of the appeal of the, the music that the characters in Star Trek plays they are these quite sort of elite people uh, but it's another way of sort of bringing them making them more relatable making them you know a bit more like us making it feel like that kind of community spirit that we're talking about is something that includes us and them together that we're kind of part of that family somehow 
Well, it goes back to what I was saying was that the, the music is something that is a universal experience, um, and uh, I mean, in, in, like you said, almost no matter where you are, if you're in the sort of the lonely, cold expanse of space, or whether you're here on planet Earth, it's, a, it's an experience that we can all share. Which is, I think, one thing, one reason why people that watch video of um, astronaut, you know. Um, uh, enjoying David Bowie goes live because we can think, well, you know, he's having the same experience with a song up in space, you know. Just in zero gravity. Yeah, millions that, that of we miles. Would yeah, yeah. yeah. That we and would the same have. reaction. Um, yeah. And uh, the Star Trek series is all, or Star Trek the franchise, the whole universe of it is all about universal experiences. It's about, um, and, and, and what we do in, in, that, in, that ex- in that experience, you know, like how, how we relate to each other. Um, and the decisions that we make in life and how all of those can be um, shared across everybody regardless of what culture they come from what background, what planet, that kind of thing and music fits very well into that Absolutely Well, I can uh, hear the audience starting to, to return from the auditorium I think it's going to start getting very noisy out here I think we were, just to uh, clue the listeners in we're, we're, we're not recording uh, you know, on stage at the Royal Festival Hall We're, we're uh, around the back of a corridor trying to sort of stay out of the way while the matinee performance is going on um, So you probably will have heard a few sort of little strains uh, of music coming through The only time, I thought, I don't know if you noticed this Once we got into the Michael Giacchino music suddenly it became a lot harder to concentrate <laughs> because the volume seemed to increase like by about ten times. But um, you know, so that's a little bit of, uh, of, of background music there for the podcast. But um, uh, before we go, Clara, why don't you um, tell our listeners where they can find you on the internet? Um, so at the moment, I can be found on Twitter at um, Clara Jean um, MC. So that's Clara, and then. Gene, and then uh, capital M and capital C. Um, I can also be found on Facebook as well. I'm, I'm part of the Babel Conference. Um, I joined them. So if you are interested in um, the Trek FM and you are enjoying it, please do head over to the Babel Conference. There's lots of Star Trek fans discussing all sorts of um, ideas and um, um, subjects over there. Um, and I also have a blog, um, which is um, uh, Two Original Geeks um, at blogspot.com. Um, which is blogs that I write with my close friends about all sorts of things, stories, science fiction, um, and also the X-Files. Fantastic. Well, thank you, Clara, for joining me today. It's been, uh, it's been great talking about uh, some of the music, some of the passion that the Star Trek characters show for their own musical uh, pleasures and creations. But music uh, on the various starships and star bases of Star Trek is not the only thing we've been talking about this week. So here's a listen at some of the other things you might have missed on the network. Previously on Trek.fm, Standard Orbit. And he was supposed to be a teenager, right? He was because yeah. he looked he, well. He looked like all teenagers do on television, about thirty years old. But <laughs> really, you didn't think he looked younger than that? Uh, I mean, I'm thirty now, and I still don't look that old. So, but then maybe that's just me. It's all in the genes. It, 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 man, you, you, you know, you, you can't help it, right? When you're when you're when you're that good looking, Zach, you just got to deal with it. Warp five. I just think that's awesome that that in this you know nonviolent way he's like stop it I'm inflating my face and they just kind of disappear I think that's awesome. Oh, it's this bizarre defense mechanism that a species has like had like it just makes you think okay so what type of what type of animals were chasing them down and hunting them that they needed this as a defense mechanism right melodic tricks and really the only way I could find out 
where the next, you know, who was scoring the next movie was looking in the weekend newspaper uh, ads, you know, each weekend for when a new film was coming out, and just looking down the line and saying, oh, they're they're doing that film, they're doing that film, they're doing that film, and it got to a point over the years I just started buying the scores uh, before even seeing the film because I started realizing it was the music that I loved more than the actual film. And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. So check out all of these shows and join in the conversation about your favorite corner of the Star Trek universe and beyond. You'll find us wherever you get your podcasts. If you're an Apple user, be sure to hit the subscribe button in Apple Podcasts on iPhone, iPad, or Apple TV, or the desktop iTunes app to get the latest episodes as soon as they are published. And please do leave us a star rating and a written review at the same time. If you're not an Apple user, we've got you covered as well. You can find our shows on Google Play Music, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spreaker, SoundCloud, Windows Phone, and in most third-party apps. And you can stream and download the MP3 file from our website or grab the RSS link. If you'd also like to help us keep all our shows coming to you each week, you can become a patron of the network on Patreon. Visit patreon.com slash trekfm, that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash trekfm to get all the details. Perks include early access to episodes, exclusive content, producer credits, and more, available through our special patrons website, The Patron Zone. It requires a great deal of money to produce, host, and distribute these shows each month, so we really appreciate any support you can give us, and we hope you'll join the team. Again, you'll find all the details at patreon.com slash trekfm. Duncan and I would love to hear your thoughts on today's show, and there are many ways for you to get involved and do just that. The best place to join in the larger conversation is the Babel Conference, our listeners group on Facebook. Just type Babel, B-A-B-E-L, into the search field on Facebook, and it should come right up. If you'd like to send us an email, you can use the form on our website at trek.fm slash contact. You can also find the network on Twitter at trek.fm and on Facebook at facebook.com slash trek.fm. You can find Duncan and I on the Babel Conference as well, and you can find us both on Twitter Duncan at Barrett's Books and myself, Tony, at Black Hole Media. And you can also find me hosting my own podcast, the Xcast and X-Files podcast, if you type that into Twitter and Facebook. So thanks, everyone, for listening to this episode of Primitive Culture. We'll be back soon to discuss more history, culture, and how Star Trek relates to it. It's a blender, all right.